From Reboot, this is In Quarantine. I'm Steve Bodo, here talking life during corona. It can feel like there's not much going right in the world these days, unless you work in streaming television. Netflix has record subscribers, people spending obscene amounts of hours watching. And along with Chris Hemsworth's blockbuster handsome man killing spree, my guest today is one of the big reasons. Comedian Nick Kroll's resume has been described by me as upsettingly long. Hmm. I'm just going to mention a few things. He was a star of FX's The League. He had his own Comedy Central sketch show. Uh, More recently, Nick co-created Netflix's Emmy-nominated animated series, Big Mouth, in which he writes, produces, and performs over 30 voices. His stage show with John Mulaney, Oh Hello on Broadway, ran for 138 performances, then became a Netflix special, and now they've released the Oh Hello podcast. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly and correctly. With all proceeds going to charities supporting COVID relief. Nick, welcome in quarantine. Thanks for having me. Now, just at the outset, I want to say if this podcast had proceeds, obviously I would donate them. That's incredibly, uh, incredibly generous in a hypothetical manner. Yes, yes. Yeah, we um. In reality, we're George and Gil. Well, no, Nick and John produce the podcast. George and Gil are the stars of it. And in reality, we just are encouraging people to join us in making donations to these charities. Um, so you 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 have that ability as well to just encourage people to uh, make donations. The the there is no sponsor to our podcast. Oh, fantastic. So ethically speaking, I can be in the same position you are simply by saying, please donate. Exactly. You are, you've, you've regained the moral high ground. Ah, this is fantastic. This is what it feels like. All right. Um, <laughs> so so uh, it's a pandemic podcast. Would you say this is your first pandemic lockdown that you're in right now? This is my first pandemic lockdown for it's sure. Mine. I don't. Yeah, I think for most of us, I, I think, think so. my my grandmother is a hundred years old. I, I spoke to her, you know, a week or two ago, and she said she does not remember any time like this in her life, um, which says something because she has literally she's lived through uh, everything else. So um, it is my first. It's not my first pandemic podcast. Uh, I will say that not to <laughs> no, diminish. I'm, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's more than a few out there because there's more than a few people like me locked in a room looking for something to do. Yeah. Where, where are you at? I'm in, in Los Angeles. In the, in the LA. No, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in Los Angeles in my home, and um, I've had been splitting my time largely between New York and LA. Uh, I had been on a stand-up tour this fall. Uh, around this past fall around the country and then into uh, the UK and to Australia and came back here to LA in January to continue writing uh, Big Mouth season five. And um, we were kind of at the office working as all the coronavirus stuff started to pop up. And um, at first I thought it was like just like good old collective uh, media and social media driven hysteria. Um, Slowly, it started to sink in that it was larger than that. And we were all in our writer's room. And all of a sudden, there was many more bottles of Purell in the writer's room. And, (laughs) um, and then one day it was I think it was March 11th was our it was it was the tipping point day. I think it was like the Tom Hanks day. Uh, We me and my fellow creators, EPs, um, sat down and we were like, 
I don't think we should be all in the office anymore. Uh, so March 12th was my last day kind of in and amongst people. Is the show's continuing? Uh, yes, to, the, the to, beauty uh, of, yeah. Of animation, right? Yeah. yeah. You can just like, turns out you don't need to be with anybody. No, I mean, we'll see, you know, creatively what this effect is, but we started literally a, a Zoom writer's room on March 12th, and we have been uh, running our room through that um, ever since. We have not lost a day, um, and we've been doing our table reads over Zoom and doing the records, scratch records over Zoom, um, which we will likely have to you know fully re-record, but at least it gives us a radio play to work oh, off man. of for our for our, our animators to keep drawing the show and moving the moving the ball down the field as as I like to say. Right. The now the uh, uh, doing the records I understand actually a table read surprises me because the uh, the the timing I would think makes such a difference there and Zoom's not super great for that, you know, with interruptions and topping each other and that type of thing. Mm. It's not ideal um you know, cause you on you have table reads so you can hear where the laughs are and where they aren't and laughs, you know, any, when you're on zoom, it kind of, it, it, it's hard for two people to talk simultaneously, but it's not terrible. And, you know, luckily we're in season, we're writing season five of the show. Season four comes out in, in the fall, but we know the show well enough to hear it out loud, even in a zoom record and basically know what's working and what's not working. Um, we're going to go write Human Resources, which is a spinoff show. We might end up beginning in a, in a, um, this is what you were looking for, right? For this podcast was me just talking logistically <laughs> and technically about the inner workings of an animation, uh, production schedule that, that well, that's I was why gonna, I'm here. I, I was going to start asking some technical questions about the particular equipment, but, uh, it's mm -hmm. going good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm hap uh, truly un unfortunately I will happily and can talk about that as well. Um, <laughs> you know, so anyway, the the bottom line is we we've been very fortunate that we can get to keep making our show. Animation is particularly fortunate. Uh, live action people can write their shows, but they can't physically gather to make them. We can. So this period of time for me personally has has flown by because. I wake up, I start my writer's room and all of a sudden, you know, I've been sitting at my kitchen table for, you know, seven hours and it's time to finish. And then I've got some other business to deal with. And then it's time to cook dinner, you know? So I would guess that staying busy keeps you from say freaking out. Uh, are you, do you handle stressful situations in a freak outy way typically? Are you more of a calm? Um, I'm, you know, I have stayed, I've been lucky and maybe it's not good, but I've stayed busy because we're also doing the podcast. We're doing the Oh Hello podcast, which, right. um, George and Gil, uh, uh, John Mulaney and I have been helping these two men, George St. Eaglen and Gil Faison, Charmed He's Sure. It's, it's make, nice that you make the time for them. Uh, I'm sure they appreciate that. <laughs> if we don't, honestly, we, we get, it's to deal with the inundation of faxes that they send uh, 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 or VHSs sent, yeah, just for the trees alone to save the paper. Um, it's worth it just to do the help them make the podcast to get them out of the way. Um, the podcast is technically about the life and death of Princess Diana, Die Town. 
Um, nobody asked for it. Nobody particularly wants it. Nobody understands why they chose that subject matter. And so they banked interviews with... Sounds like a podcast to me. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> they had banked interviews with uh, uh, Ira Glass and Sarah Koenig from This American Life and Serial were guiding them. They banked interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda and John Oliver and Pete Davidson. And so... We, uh, we've been helping them alongside our producer, Lena Mitsitsis, who just won a Pulitzer Prize with This American Life. She's, no. Yes, she is spending her time working with Ira Glass and winning Pulitzers, and uh, the rest of her time she spends with George Sinke, Glenn and Gil Faison. Um, so in my downtime from Big Mouth, we sort of help them cut that show together, Um and then I'm working on a few other things. I, I tend to stay very busy uh, creatively. I have to be honest with you. I don't really, I'm not a wildly anxious person. I I very much accept the things that are beyond my control because I just, I have at some point just decided like it doesn't serve me to. Um, oh, of course that's right. I mean, that's, that's, that is inarguable, but uh, a lot of people don't have. No, that ability. No, less, you know. I'm blessed with a certain level of like, um, uh, like just truly resigned to my re- whatever reality that I'm presented with, <laughs> and which I I say sort of jokingly, but I genuinely feel very grateful for. Um, and and I don't read much news. I assume the big stuff will get to me in conversation with friends or, or otherwise. And I really just, um, yeah, I just kind of, uh, I, I keep my, which must be hard for you as, as someone who's worked for so many years in, in like making the news funny. Are you, how are you dealing with that? Uh, I have, my habit is too hard to break. I'm in the news like every day all the time and it definitely doesn't serve me, but, um, I cannot, tear myself away. Yeah. I wish it, that I could. Through, through professional, just through, through habit, through interest, through professional, just through you know, all through of it. Habit and interest. I mean, yeah. The fact that I was at shows like the daily show and Patriot Act for so long was definitely, I mean, sort of what you were saying before, like I got to do something I really loved to do and it was mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I used to say when I was there, well, I'd be looking at this stuff even if I weren't working here. So it's a good thing I'm working here. Yeah, um, you know, but I would say that in a, in a, in a sort of uh, semi-joking way, but it turns out to be literally true, um, yeah, and not necessarily a good thing. And I like fell into Twitter for a minute today and saw one of uh, Trump's press conferences, and and it's so <laughs> it's so farcical that um, I don't oh, now. You, now you got me. Now I just like, oh, can I make an animated show that's not going to air for a year? That sounds. It, much I mean, better. it is crazy. <laughs> Because it's literally, I mean, I'm we're we're writing, we're writing stuff right now that will not air till uh, at least till like probably somewhere around October of 2021. Uh, right. So currently, so it's not going to be super topical since the world's going to change no. four times between now and then. No, it's the it's kind of the beauty of the the process of our show is that we cannot be terribly topical. It has to be more evergreen with occasional references here and there. Early on, we had a joke. We had a section 
um, about Andrew suffering from sort of anxiety ridden, catastrophic thinking. And there was a, I was like, oh, we could put a, a COVID, you know, Corona joke here to make it. And the room, it was sort of early in the, it was early in the lockdown and everyone was like, ah, and it was unclear about how many deaths there would be. And also just like, are people going to want to see this? My guess is it would be almost impossible to get the context so right 18 months in advance that it would seem yeah. anything except dated, I think. Well, yeah, like we had written and voiced season two of the show before season one came out. Season one came out and the Me Too Time's Up movement like happened, like took hold like a, a month later. So season two of the show had been written previous to all of that. Um, it was only by season three, which just aired, did we begin to absorb what that was. But in a way, it was kind of a blessing because it allows us to continue to follow our own noses on the show right. and not be too worried about what's happening I'm not or in the, or, to the news too much. Right. And yeah. there's something, there's something timeless about, uh, adolescent, uh, sexual anxiety, I think. Yes. And, think and, been and, around. and I think it'll yeah. continue to be around. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make more formal announcements about this upcoming season, but there are elements to this upcoming season that will feel relevant to, the world right now in very different ways, no one, you know, no connection to anything that's actually happening, but underlying it's, it's adolescence, but it's just underlying human emotional states that are going to be heightened in, in these moments. So it's like, a, it's just the weird, it's truly the weirdest time. I mean, I'm talking to my grandmother, talking to my parents where I'm just like, they're, they're like, the, we've never experienced anything like this. So well, it um, is strange in that way to like to be in the same boat as, uh, I guess in your case, four generations of people and everyone just like throwing up their hands. So like, yeah, I don't know. I also don't know. Yep. And everybody's, you know, like I, I have, um, you know, everybody's doing different things. Like I'm, I'm working, I'm working on the podcast. My um, girlfriend is a super uh, talented, uh, well-regarded, like, landscape designer and botanical artist and oh, nice. so much of her business went away at the beginning of all this so right. you know she started researching uh, uh the victory gardens that people started to use during world war ii yeah. and yeah. building their own you know gardens to alleviate some of the stress on the national infrastructure and creating some food and you know she's working and and we're doing some gardening in our backyard and trying to uh she is i'm i'm not doing anything i'm I'm, I'm watching, but, um, and I'm looking at little lettuces that were growing on our windowsill, like the ends of lettuces and, and put into some water and watching lettuce grow. Um, <laughs> that doesn't, that makes it sound like you're not that busy watching lettuce grow. I, I know I'm, but I'm doing it while I'm doing this podcast with you. So uh, it's, oh, oh, I'm, oh. I tend to multitask. I can both have a conversation and watch let yeah, us I'm a grow. little, a little insulted, if I'm going to be honest, that I'm not captivating enough that you also need to watch lettuce. Yeah, well, you should be. I mean, I, I would also say, what I'm the fact that I'm watching the miracle of life happen, <laughs> and having a conversation with you, and that I can hold that concept, hold the concept of 
of of rebirth from the discarded end of a, a, a head of lettuce placed into water and watching it bloom anew from its own carcass while talking to you about the, you know, I feel honored. I was pissed and now I'm honored. <laughs> that's, it's all about the lensing. It's all about the framing, which I think you would understand better as someone who watches the news. I'm, uh, this is the spin zone. This is the new spin zone. <laughs> um, I have a question for you about big math. It's on Netflix, obviously, which yeah. is in what, like 190 countries or uh, something like that. Uh, there, yeah. Thereabouts. How does it go over in like Jewish teen masturbation jokes? How does that go down in, you know, in your Bangladesh, in your Senegal? We get a broad swath of, of you know, numbers and sort of, but also just of countries where we're popular and um, obviously the English speaking countries. But then, you know, Brazil and Italy and and um, and they some, w or some, only subtitle. Uh, they do both. They they give you the option. They they I remember when we were first doing the show, we got to listen to the Polish uh coach Steve and the you know the Japanese <laughs> hormone gotta monster. It's gonna be hilarious. It's kind of amazing. It's very weird and surreal. Is there a um, Japanese and also to Nick hear Kroll? what like what's that? Is there a Japanese Nick Kroll who does like, oh, yeah. all the voices a... you do? That Japanese guy also does all those voices. Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I met the Brazil. I did Comic-Con in Brazil a few years ago and met the guys who play Andrew and Nick. And um, and they did the kid who did the guy who did Nick did not also do the Hormone Monster and Coach Steve and Lola and others. So um, but it's, a, uh, you know, I think why the show has worked, you know, both domestically, but also internationally is the universality of, of, of puberty, of, of adolescence and that experience. Like, you know, a lot of comedy doesn't translate internationally as well, but, right. but, but it's such a universal experience of going through puberty of that feeling of, uh, of, um, the lack of control yeah, from your hormones. The, yeah. There's something universal to it. I also think because Netflix has now been around for as long as it has, we are slowly training the world uh, the the common sensibility of the world is growing at a pace because of the interconnectedness of the Netflixes and YouTubes of the world. That oh, is, so that's a very heavy statement, actually, that you just snuck in there. I, I not having to do with Big Mouth specifically, but just that that if Netflix is having a uh, that sort of effect on global culture. I think so. I mean, it's like the you know the faudas of the the you know the Israeli. Uh, show about the, you know, sort of the undercover police working between um, Palestinians and, and Israelis yeah. that m- my friend Leo Raz created is, you know, was hugely popular in the U.S. There's, you know, there are all of these shows that are, you're unorthodox, your shows that all of a sudden, I, I will only refer to Jewish related shows on the podcast. So. Yeah, thank you. Um, those doesn't shows, you I, too terribly, but yeah. No, it's it, but not in this case. But in, I do believe YouTube has done a similar thing. I think the internet specifically, but I also believe comedy, which used to be so regionalized to country to country because of sensibilities, I think there is in many ways a much more shared sensibility. The idea that like st- you can perform stand up all over the world and people understand not only your references more, but also 
they understand what you're doing on stage as a stand-up. Yeah. No, Trevor used to talk about this a lot, that he was, you know, he was essentially the first really majorly successful stand-up in or from South Africa. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, talks about touring in South Africa and throughout Africa and people are just not, they just didn't know what it was. It was like a technology that hadn't been introduced there yet. Totally. And I think that they, and it is weird. Like it's super weird. If you to stand on stage alone and like philosophize. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants And and people are used to story, you know, cultures have their storytellers, but there's something about the specific alchemy of standup that I think, um, is different. And so I think th- they understand that. And yes, there are a lot of people watching the shows in their dubbed into their native tongue, but there are a lot of international people who are watching it in English with subtitles of their language. Cause they understand that there's something lost, but I know it to be the case from friends who have done stand up now around the world. We have a, there's a more of a collective culture pop culture, especially from the US, on a level that even 10, 15 years ago was not the case. Like the references are shared in a way that they weren't. Now, uh, we're talking about Reboot. Your brother-in-law, Roger Bennett, he was one of the founders of Reboot. Yes, he was. Yeah. And I, he so was I have indeed. to ask you, I, I love Roger, but I have to ask you, why won't he call me back? <laughs> Oh, that's that's a, only a question that Roger can answer. Um, I, mean, I think I think he likes me, okay. I, but I, yeah, no, I mean, got nothing. This I, is my. I, this I, is like this is me. This is my Mark Marin trip. Like I bring people on my podcast not to hash out my old grudges with them, sure, but with their, sure. but with their non blood relatives. Yeah. I mean, again, at, with all things Roger, I think the person who could best answer that is my sister, Vanessa, who is married to Roger. Yes. Roger, one of the founders of Reboot, and um, he and I did Bar Mitzvah Disco. It was my first thing I ever did professionally. Um, was it was the first I, thing. I did not know that. Yeah. When I graduated college, Roger had an idea for a, a coffee table book about oh, Bar Mitzvahs. It's a fantastic and, book. And he, he engaged me to work on it. But Roger taught me so much about uh, he's taught me so much about how to put together a book, how to put together anything and how to figure out how to tell a cultural story through personal, through very personalized stories from yourself and others to tell a, a much larger cultural story and find a way to tell something that's both speaking about a moment in time that is both genuine, but also uh, funny and Roger's got a rare gift to to yeah. crystallize culture in a way. Yeah, I had um, so I mean my connection with him started. I, mean, I must have met him at a reboot thing where we were talking about like my upbringing in synagogue and how dissatisfactory it was, and he, you know started asking me questions about it and where did you go? But I and we, we so you and I grew up in the same. Uh, in the same hometown, were uh, a bunch of years apart, so we didn't actually know each other. But we grew up; both grew up in that same town in Westchester. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go to school there. I went to the one in the next town in Harrison. And Roger's like, "Oh my god, he had heard all about what a terrible oh, place yeah. it was." We had got. We went to that same. We went you to did. that same synagogue. Oh yeah, JCCH. That's the one, baby. I know it well. Shargell, oh, Rabbi Shargell was the guy. Yeah, there at the I like time. him okay. Yeah. I like him okay. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I, I didn't. I didn't have. It's an less issue about. Oftentimes, I found with synagogues, it's less about the particular leader of the place, the rabbi or cantors, 
and more about just the the general underlying uh, cultural functionings of a place um, that that turned me off much. Yeah, much of it was the time. very alienating to me, and I and, and so I had stepped away from you know anything really anything Jewish for many, many years and then tripped into this reboot thing, which you know, was explained to me sort of very briefly as like being being basically for people like you, Steve, who like are feel Jewish but uh, are alienated from it. And Roger had not exactly all the answers, but like he, he understood. It was the first time I talked to somebody and I felt like they understood exactly what I was talking about. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he was able to at that point, you know, because he was working in the more in the, in the Jewish nonprofit world. And he, I think was because he was from England was an outsider um, who had spent so much time that he was also an insider inside of these communities, but as an outsider could understand and view what was happening um, in a way that it's hard, it would be harder for someone like you or I to be able to understand exactly what's what was ticking us off or what was rubbing us the wrong way and he he was able to see that um and he's gone on to do that in so many different ways he did the camp book and he's done and then he and michael davis started davis started the you know men and blazers yeah men and blazers the podcast and now the show and that's about premier league soccer and it's this sort of insider outsider thing that he he does so effortlessly um but i do so that's all to say. I, I don't know how to get him to call you back. Uh, I'm, I can't. I I can guarantee you it's nothing personal. Oh no, um, I don't take it personally. Yeah, because I know because I know you won't call anybody back. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, so uh, we like to talk about the Jew stuff here on the Reboot uh, Pandemic podcast. How? What sort of Jewish uh, stuff you've been doing during the pandemic? What's the Jewiest Jewing you've done? Um, we did a, a Zoom Seder, um, which with my family in who, who are, you know, in the New York area. Um, and normally I would, if I were in New York, I would obviously go to my family Seder. And, but this year, because of the pandemic, we, everyone was, you know, separated. So we did a Zoom Seder with all the different families together. Uh, and then I did a small one with friends, um, the same night. So that was pretty Jewy. And then we've done a, a, a fair number of Shabbats as well with all the families lighting the candles together and um, and just doing some quick blessings and catching up and sending love to everybody. Um, in a way, it's it has made me more uh, presently practicing um, and connected, I guess, Jewishly to specifically to my family than I normally would. Um and I think a number it's, of people have uh, have said that. Why do you think that is? I just think it's such a deep need for connection, um, and so things like Shabbat or seder's take on greater meaning because they're points of uh, connection that expand beyond this moment in time. They expand to, I mean, millennia of practice, and so there's something comforting about ritual, and it's what I think can be beautiful about Judaism and the farther I get away from the adolescent rage that I triggeringly feel towards much Jewish ritual <laughs> from JCCH and having gone to a Jewish day school, um, the further I move away from that and the more that I see that these like touchstone events in a week and in a year um, 
are really a chance for people to uh, connect to one another and, and families and, and participate in these rituals um, that can bring deep comfort in moments of um, deep uncertainty. You know what this makes me want to say? Nick Kroll, yeah. today you are a man. <laughs> oh, I wish this had been my bar mitzvah speech. <laughs> um, Nick, thank you so much for making time for us today. My pleasure. You can check out the Oh Hello podcast wherever podcasts are available. <laughs> for In Quarantine, this is Steve Bodo saying, don't worry, it looks good long. 